Welcome to the Factory Youth Podcast. This is a weekly teaching podcast from the Factory Youth at Calvary Chapel, Vera Beach. And we're in a series talking about the life of David, and we're looking at uh, what made King David the greatest king in Israel's history, what made him a man after God's heart, what made him the best worship songwriter of all time, and the line that Jesus came into the world through. This guy has quite the reputation and quite the sort of resume. I think one of these things is a good thing, like greatest king ever, check. Best worship leader ever, check. Like, man, this guy's very diverse. Um, he's a man after God's own, own heart, which is something that God said about him. David is a person that God, he cares and he sees and he loves people the way that God does. He shepherds people the way that God does. And then ultimately through his line, we have Jesus um, into the world. And so this guy is pretty interesting. His story is fun, um, but it also gives us some helpful sort of perspective and tips about how to be a person like this. Because I think for many, for all of us, we want to be a person after God's own heart, right? We want to be people that cares about the things that God cares about. And that, that uh, there's, a, there's a song we used to sing that says, break my heart for what breaks yours. And this, des- this desire, I want to be more like Jesus in how I live. And all of us have that desire. And I think all of us want to be used by God. Whatever sphere we find ourselves in, whether we're in the palace or we're, we're, we're flipping patties at Chick-fil-A or whatever it is we do, we want to be people that are used by God. And we want to be people that serve God in our church. Like David, a worship leader. We want, want to be people that participate in advancing the kingdom of God. And then we want to be people that bring Jesus into the world. We want to be people that, that through our life and through how we live, people can see Jesus in us and through us. And so he is such a good example for us. Now context, when we're jumping into chapter 4, David is on the run from King Saul. If you remember his story, he was anointed as king even though there already was a king. It's a little awkward, right? They're like, hey Dave, you're the king. And he's like, what about Saul? Don't worry about Saul, you're the king. And now it kind of created some conflict and some controversy. And David sort of continued to rise in popularity. He killed Goliath, and then songs were sang about him. David kills, or excuse me, Saul killed his thousand, David his tens of thousands. I made this joke to Hannah yesterday. I, I saw on our, our, the Factory Youth Instagram page that the last week's um, reel of Shane has like 10,000 views, and it also has like some funny comments. Like one of them says, I've meant to tell you this. Uh, I'm telling him now. Uh, somebody commented and says, he looks like Spencer Reed from Criminal Minds. That's, if you know, they're like, why does this guy look like? Anyways, um, and I said to Shane, whenever we post a reel of Shane, it gets thousands of views. Like Nate gets his thousands and Shane's his tens of thousands. Um, but uh, yeah, so anyways, so the song is being sung about uh, David and then Saul begins to be jealous. I'm not saying that that's me at all. I, I'm not jealous of Shane. A little bit. Anyways, um, <laughs> so Saul begins to persecute and hunt down David because his kingdom is threatened. And so last week we saw, or two weeks ago, we saw David on the initial run from Saul. And then last week we saw that David was hiding in the cave. And all of these people, the down and out, came to David and David sort of repurposed them. He gave them a new calling and a new identity. And no longer were they these disgruntled, confused, depressed, distressed, down and out, indebted men. But they become David's mighty men of valor. And they have this new identity as they follow David who's following God. 
And now the story continues as David is being persecuted by Saul. And now this is where Saul and David will encounter one another in this sort of tension. We'll be in chapter 24, and I'm going to read the whole story to us, and then we'll kind of talk about it. It's, it's quite a few verses, but the story is really fun. So you guys ready for it? All right. Uh, chapter 24, verse 1. It says, Now it happened when Saul returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. So he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs. Um, when you got to go, you got to go. And David and his men were staying in the recess of the cave. Then the men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now pause for just a moment. Let's see what's happening. David is hiding in the caves. He's with his, his group of depressed and distressed and indebted people. And all of a sudden Saul and his great army looking for David shows up right outside the cave that David and his crew are in. And so I'm sure they're like, uh, David, Saul's here. I'm sure you would hear the thousands of soldiers marching in and they sort of retreat back into the depth of the cave. And then as luck would have it, Ironically, interestingly enough, Saul's like, uh, I got to go to the bathroom. And so he runs into the cave, and this is an interesting scene because he would have gone in by himself, right? He wouldn't have had his, his guards, his security, things like that. They would kind of, all right, you do your thing. So Saul goes into the cave, and then back in the cave, in the dark, all of his men are there, like, quiet. Somebody's like, you know those scenes? Like in, uh, where they're like, why does that stop sneezing? They're like, you guys know what I'm talking about? Like in those old movies, they're like, if you ever try that, it doesn't work. You still sneeze. Especially if somebody else did that to you, just sneeze on them. Anyways, so there's like that scene. They're back there. They're hiding from, and somebody's like, David, this is your shot. This is, the, this is your chance. God told you you'd be king. Now your enemy has wandered in. He's defenseless. This is a perfect opportunity. He's by himself. Just go deal with them. This is what God promised you. This is what God said you were going to do. Here is your opportunity to take it into your own hands and to become the king that you're supposed to be. And so David gets up, quietly sneaks over. And what does he do? We're told that he cuts off just in the edge of Saul's robe. I don't know how he got that close without him noticing. I wasn't there. Whatever the case, that's what the Bible tells us. He, maybe he took his robe off and set it aside. I don't know. There he is. Now it happened afterwards, verse 5. That David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe off. Now remember his, his group was telling him to kill Saul. And all he did was take a little piece of his robe and his heart troubled him for what he had done. And he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. David also arose afterward, went out of the cave, and called to Saul, saying, My lord, the king. 
And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, indeed, David seeks your harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave. And someone urged me to kill you, but my eye spared you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the corner of your robe, and I did not kill you, no, uh, and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand. I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt me, hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me and you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients say, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog? A flea? Therefore let the Lord be judge and judge between you and me and see and plead my case and deliver me out of your hand. So it was when David had finished seeing, saying these words to Saul that Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Then he said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day how you have dealt well with me, for when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you didn't kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safely? Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king, and the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Therefore swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me, and that you will not destroy my name from the Father's house. So David swore to Saul, and Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. All right, so you guys catch what's happening? Here David is hiding in the cave. Saul wanders in. David sneaks up, cuts the corner of his robe. Saul exits, and then David goes out. And he basically says, Saul, I just want you to understand, I am not trying to take anything from you. I'm not trying to pry anything out of your hand. I'm not trying to kill you. I'm not trying to corrupt you. I'm not trying to do anything. And Saul hears about this, and he breaks down. He's like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. I messed up. I shouldn't have done this. He cries. Now, these are sort of like crocodile tears. They're not real. He kind of like uh, caught up in the moment because we're going to see next week that Saul's back hunting David. It doesn't last very long. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have done that. And then he goes home. He's like, I've got to find David. Where is that guy? So he has this moment of, of, uh, of remorse and it looks like he repents, but it doesn't stop there. What we see in this story and what we want to talk about tonight is that David is learning patience and the power that comes from waiting on God. I've titled this message tonight, Wait For It. Wait for it. <laughs> Wait for it. He, David, in this moment, didn't take things into his own hands. He didn't jump to defend himself or his rights or what he thought was best. He waited on God to fulfill his promise. This is a difficult thing we must all learn. We must all learn to trust in God's word and wait on God's timing. We have to learn to trust in God's word and wait on God's timing. I do not like waiting. I hate waiting. Actually, do you know what's funny? I say that I hate waiting, but when I order something like on Amazon or something, and it, I like the waiting more than I like the receiving. 
It's like, they're like, ooh, is it here yet? Ooh, is it here yet? And then you're here, it's like, okay, yep. I got it. There's like the whatever random stupid thing that I ordered. Like the waiting is the best part. But generally speaking, I don't like waiting. My dad always says, he's like, I don't wait in lines. And I'm like, you're a human being, aren't you? You wait in lines. He's like, I don't wait in lines. So you'll see him, like if there's like a long line, he'll stand over there. It's like, dude, you're still waiting in line. You're just not in the line. You're still waiting. Like, what are you talking about? But, but the, the, for, for many of us, like, we, we hate waiting. We want things right now. We don't like to have to wait or, like, be patient. That is the worst thing ever. We want it right now. But waiting is actually a very important thing in our relationship with God. It learns, it teaches us to trust in God, and it teaches us how to be patient and wait on God. Now, there's two ideas of wait that we have to learn, and this is what David is learning in these, in these moments. He's learning not to take things into his own hands, but to trust in the timing of God. There's two things. We have to learn to wait on God, and we have to learn to wait for God, and there's a distinction. We have to learn to wait on God. Now, we wait on God through prayer, through meditation on God's word, and through silence in his presence. We wait on God when our, where we set our attention and our posture and our thoughts and they're focused on the power and presence of God. And there's moments where, whether it's in a worship setting, where we wait on God. We just say, okay, we, do, we have our plan, we have our direction, but we're going to just slow ourselves down and we're going to let God do what he wants to do. We're going we're gonna to trust that God is moving and that he's working. And I just, in the silence, in this, in this posture of, uh, of waiting, I'm going to just ask God, would you come? Would you speak to me? Would you do a work in my life? And all of us need to learn the power of waiting on God. Saying, God, would you show up in my life? We're not, we're not doing anything. We're not, we're not trying to solve everything. We're just allowing God to be God, and we're simply waiting in his presence. Can I encourage you? This can look like whether it's in a church service where we worship, whether it's opening up God's word in a setting like this, or it's at home by yourself where you open up God's word or you, you close your eyes and you pray and you say, God, would you just show up? Would you speak to me? Would you minister to me? Would you be here in my life? We've got to learn to wait on God. You've got to pray. You've got to trust in God's word. You've got to open up God's word. Wait on God. But we also have to learn to wait for God. And what I mean by that is where we learn to trust in God's word and what he is doing. So to wait on God is, okay, God, I'm here, I'm focused, I'm attentive, I'm, I'm present with what you're doing. But to wait for God is, okay, God, I trust in you. Would you lead me in what you're doing? Would you show me exactly what's next for me in my life? Biblically, the word wait sort of carries three definitions. It means to look for. So wait means to look for. It means to hope. And it means to expect. So when we say wait, we don't just mean sit around. right? Waiting for God does not just mean sit around and do nothing. I think that's our mindset of waiting. Did you know when I was growing up, I didn't have a phone with internet. And so when I had to wait like in a public setting, I couldn't be on my phone. I just had to sit there like this. <laughs> Imagine standing there like an idiot. Just like. It's horrible. That's terrible. We, we like literally you just had to wait there. Now the idea of biblical waiting is not just standing there like an idiot. The, the idea is not just like. 
It's actually, it means something. It means do something. There's a focus. And those three ideas we're going to break down. To wait for God means to look for what God is doing. To wait on God means look for what it's doing. One way we figure out what God is calling us to do and the purpose that God has for our lives is by looking for what God is already doing and joining in on that. Where is God right now already working in your life? Where is God already working in your friends' lives? What is God doing in your family? What does it seem like God is doing in your church? How can I participate in what God is already doing? We don't need to pioneer some new thing. We need to look for what God is doing and join him. That's so much of serving God. It's okay, what, what's God doing? What, what, what is he, where is he moving? What's happening right now in my life or in my friend's life and things like that? Okay, how can I join in on that? How can I participate with what God's already doing? That is such a, a freeing thing to be able to say, I'm just joining in with God. It's not my thing. I don't have to be the captain. I don't have to figure it all out. I'm just joining God. Where can I serve? Where can I participate? Where, where's an area of need? How can I jump in there and see what God wants to do in my life, through my life, as I join him? Where's God already working in your life? Where's an area that you can see growth already happening in your life? Where's an area where you see weakness and you know I need growth in this area of my life? Whether that's personally, with your friends, in your home, at your work. Okay, that's an area that I can begin to say, okay, this is where God wants to work. This is what I'm gonna, how I'm going to participate with him. So one of the ways you wait on God is you look for what he's already doing. Where, 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 can I, where can I step in and participate with what God is already doing? God wants you to serve him. He wants you to do all things as unto him. He wants to use you to reach your friends, your classmates, your coworkers. These are ways that you can participate with what God's already doing. Now the second idea, to wait on God, means to hope or trust in him. Now biblical hope is not wishful thinking. It's confidence based upon character. That's biblical hope. It's not wishful thinking like I hope, right? Like I hope I get a bunch of candy for Halloween. I hope I get that new bicycle for Christmas. Or I, I hope it happens. I hope she says yes when I ask her out. Like, or whatever, whatever it is. That's not the idea of biblical hope. The biblical hope is confidence based upon character. What I mean is that we trust in what God is doing for our future based upon who God is and what he's done in our past. One of the ways we can have confidence for our future is by looking at the character of God in our past. The Bible says that God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we can trust that he'll be the same tomorrow because he was the same yesterday. The plans, the things that he's doing in your life, the confidence to step out in faith comes from the character of God. Who is God? Well, he's always the same. He's always consistent in our life. So waiting on God is not hoping that God does something in our life. Waiting on God is trusting that he is doing something and we need to be patient and position ourselves where we're supposed to be. God's working. God wants to do something. Waiting on God is not like, man, I hope God does something. I hope God shows up. I hope something happens. Waiting on God is, okay, where do I need to be to experience what God wants to do in my life? How do I position myself to be prepared for what God wants to do because he's doing something? It's an expectation. Why? Because of his character. He doesn't change. 
Last week, we, or two weeks ago, we went on a family vacation to Waco, Texas. This is like our family's favorite destination now. We, it's like we do it every year. It's like, Waco, let's run it back. Um, but one of, one of the reasons we go there is because there's a wave pool, surfing wave pool in the middle of Texas. It's amazing. But the craziest thing is you walk out in this wave pool, and it's exactly that. It's a pool. It's completely flat. And it's about waist deep. And you just literally walk out with your surfboard. You don't see any waves. You just kind of walk out, and then you sit on your board. And then all of a sudden, after a few seconds, there's, the, there's this sound of like, okay, a wave's coming. And then they tell you there's numbers on the wall, and you're supposed to position yourself on one of these numbers. It's completely flat. You don't see anything coming. You have no idea what's going on. All you do is say, okay, I know I'm supposed to between, be in between number five and six. And all of a sudden, you hear like this sound, and a wave pops up out of nowhere. In fact, three waves pop out out of nowhere, and you surf a perfect wave, and then you paddle back out and do it again. The, th the thing about it is I don't have to hope that a wave's going to come. When you go surfing in the ocean, you hope a wave's going to come. You sit out there like, okay, I, I checked the forecast. The winds are right. I'm waiting for the, I hope, I hope it shows up. I hope it happens. You're waiting. When you're surfing in a wave pool, you don't, you're not waiting for a wave. You're just positioning yourself in the right spot because it's going to come. This is the way that God works. Waiting on God is not, oh, I hope something happens. It's positioning myself and saying, God is doing something. Where do I need to be to be involved in that? Waiting on God is hoping and trusting in what God is already doing. And then the third thing, to wait on God means to expect that he will do what he says. Meaning, we must know the word of God and we must believe that his promises will come about in your life. If the Bible says you're loved, you must believe it. If the Bible says that God has a calling on your life and he wants to use it, use you, you must believe it. If God says you can be forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ, you must believe it. Part of our participation with what God is doing is trusting in what he says. Saying this is, he says, this is who I am. This is what I do. This is how I want to work. This is how I want to show up. And we say, okay, God, now I'm going to trust that what you've said will come to pass. And not, not just trust it, but expect it to happen. There's a difference, right, between hoping for something and expecting something, right? To go back to Amazon, I paid for it. I saw the delivery. I got the confirmation. I'm trusting it is going to show up, right? And I check it every day. Okay, one more day. Ooh, it's supposed to be here tomorrow. And then wait a second. Oh, no, there it is. Because Amazon, it's always there, like on time. There it is. Okay, expectation, here it is, right? We have the hope, but then we also have an expectation. And we trust that what God says, his promises will come about in our life. Okay, this is how we wait for God. We wait for God by looking for what he's doing and joining in. We wait for God by trusting and hoping in who he is and what he says. And we, and we, we wait on God through an expectation of his promises that they'll come about. So let's talk for a moment about what happens when we wait on God. Because David, we're, we're in the middle of his story right now. David is learning the value of patience. He's learning the value of trusting in God's timing. He had a moment where he could have taken things into his own hands, right? He could have said, okay, I'm going to do it my way. But he doesn't. He trusts in God. And let's see what happens when you do a couple of things. Number one, strength happens when you wait on God. Strength. Listen to this, Psalm 27. And this is written by David. He says this, wait on the Lord. 
Be of good courage. Why? He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Wait on God and he'll strengthen your heart. I'm sure many of us feel tired or overworked or too busy. No motivation to keep going. Sometimes even the thought of serving God or living out a calling just seems like more work. Like if we're going to be honest with you, you're like, okay, I got school, I got sports, I got friends, I got chores, and now I got to serve God? Now you're telling me I got to read my Bible? How much, what do you want from me? I can't do all that. And sometimes it seems like just another thing that we have to add to our life and do this, be productive, make sure you accomplish this, do this. That's not what we're saying. We're saying that when you wait on God, you actually find strength, strength in your own spiritual life and then strength that overflows into every area of your life. You want to find strength in how you live your life? It's not cutting God out. It's bringing more God in. We think that, okay, I'm, I'm so busy. The first thing that's got to go, devotion, praying, church. No, sir. That should be the first thing to stay, right? This is actually the source that I find strength to do all of those other things. Wait on God and you find strength in your life. Second thing we find through waiting on God is security. Listen to this, Psalm 37. Again, this is David. Wait on the Lord and keep his way and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. That sounds like pretty spot on to what he's dealing with right now. Here he has a moment where he can take things into his own hands. And now he's writing from experience that because he waited on God, God elevated him. He didn't have to elevate himself. Security in what God was doing. He recognized that waiting on God actually put him into the position that God had for him. Not taking matters into his own hands. We all want security. We all want to know that things will work out. And sometimes we think the only way it'll happen is if we make it happen, right? If you want something done right, you've got to do it yourself. That's our mindset. In order for me to have my best future, I've got to be in charge because I know me. I know what I want. I know where I'm supposed to go. Can I tell you, you don't know you. Man, we don't even know what we want for dinner most nights. Right? We don't even know how we feel. I don't even know how I feel right now. How are you? I don't know. I'm here. (laughs) Like, we're so confused. We're so lost. How much better is it to know that the one that created us and formed us and has a plan for us, he's the one that's leading us and directing us? That's security. Safety and trust in who he is and what he's doing is where we find security. And then the third thing, when we wait on God, we find direction. Listen to this, Psalm 25. It says, lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I will wait all the day. When we wait on God, God leads us in truth and he teaches us. God leads us to where he wants us to go when we wait on him. And this happens when we're allowing God to teach us and direct us. God directs you. This is, let me make it really practical. Because I think we talk about, okay, God, lead me, guide me, direct me. And it's not like we put on a blindfold and all of a sudden we're like, okay, I feel like, oh, wow. God, is this you? Oh, man, I've lost control. God's leading me. Look at it. No, no. How God leads us and directs us is you open up God's word and you're reading it. And all of a sudden there's some character or attitude or mindset that is in contradiction with how you're living your life. So you're going The Bible says God resists the proud and and gives grace to the humble. And you're like, oh my gosh, I've been so prideful. I need to humble myself. Lord, forgive me. Would you help me be more humble? 
All of a sudden, what's happened as you've, as you've torn off that in your life and put on more of Christ's character, that's leading you somewhere. That's taking you somewhere. That's making you the person that God wants you to become because God's way more concerned with you as a person than you in a place. And so what you do is he leads and directs you as you listen and obey what God's word says. And as God shapes you, it allows you to go in his direction. Worship team, you guys can come up here. I'm going to close. I just want to close with one final sort of thought. And this is just uh, uh, maybe more application for us. But Saul says at the end that David rewarded him with good when he rewarded David with evil. It's a powerful moment that happens right here. Here David is hiding from Saul, knowing that Saul wants to kill him. And now it seems like the troops are, are, are literally on his front door. It's over. Saul's found me. And yet, oh my gosh, this strange coincidence, this strange circumstance. He wanders into our cave. He's completely vulnerable and alone. All of my, my, all of my crew is saying, this is the chance. This is the moment. Take him out. David doesn't. And then he goes out and says, hey, Saul, I could have, and I didn't. And Saul responds, and he says, oh, David, you've rewarded me with good, and all I've given to you is evil. This stood out to me as I was preparing tonight, because this is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus Christ, that we have been rewarded with good when we deserved evil. Man, our life, the Bible says that we're sinners. Our life shows that we're sinners. Our life shows that we don't have all the answers, that we make mistakes, that we fall short, that we can't get it right. And, and, and from every perspective, from every vantage point, especially from God's, we deserve punishment. We deserve evil. And yet, what's the gospel? The gospel is when you've deserved evil, you actually get good. <laughs> You get God's grace, you get God's love, you get God's forgiveness. The Bible says that Jesus who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That this exchange happens, that's this idea. That we deserved evil and yet God took on our evil and gave us his goodness. So we could be forgiven, that we could have life, that we could have the joy that's found in him, that we could have forgiveness of sins, that we could have abundant life here and now, and we could have eternal life with God. And we find that through trusting in God, through placing our faith in Jesus. That's what David's doing. The reason he gave Saul good instead of evil was because he was trusting in God. He said, I'm choosing God over my own ambition, my own strength, my own ability. I'm trusting in God, and God's going to reward me. Can I encourage you tonight? Trust in God. Trust in what he's doing in your life. Give yourself completely to him and allow him to exchange all of that brokenness, all of that pain, all of that discomfort, all of that anxiety, all of that hurt, and let him exchange it for his good for his joy, for his purpose, for that new identity. We can find it through relationship with Jesus. Let's pray together.